We'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. With that song echoing in our ears, it seems appropriate to sing as this is the season where we count our blessings, is it not? And uh, the greatest blessing of all is, of course, our redemption. And I don't know of any other place in Scripture that better um, explains the blessings of redemption in a short amount of space than Ephesians chapter 1. And I want us just to read um, this evening, starting in verse 3, and we'll read through uh, verse 14. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And all of God's people said, whew, That's a mouthful. And I think that song that we just sang, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, really summarizes this passage well. What did we just sing? Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. What were we, what were we just singing about? We were singing that God is the fountain from which every blessing in our lives flow. And the greatest of these, obviously, is the blessing of our salvation. And so when we consider God's grace and God's mercy and his love that he displayed in redeeming us, from our sin through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our hearts and our voices should erupt in loudest praise, as the song says. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing here. This is how he was responding. In fact, he he responded in that way several times in the midst of explaining our great salvation uh, in these opening verses of his letter to the Ephesians. In verse 6, He says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. In verse 12, he says it again, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, he says again at the end, to the praise of his glory. 
Paul's heart here was just a flame in praise to God for what he has done to save us, and he wanted to inflame our hearts, really the heart of every believer who would read this, to worship God by reminding us of all the blessings that we have through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you could tell, as we read this, this is one of the most concentrated sections of theology found anywhere in the Bible. This is 100% proof, mind-bending, awe-inspiring truth about the doctrine of salvation. And in fact, in the Greek language that Paul was writing here, verses 3 through 14 are one sentence, believe it or not, one long sentence. And and when you read it, you get the sense that Paul was just struggling with the limitations of of, of language as he he tried to, to express all that was in his heart regarding the unspeakable riches of God's grace. And his heart was just so full of praise and, and wonder, it just gushed forth so, so rapidly and so, so profusely that he, he hardly had time to take a breath. And someone likened it to this sentence rolling off of Paul's tongue like a snowball tumbling down a hill, gradually picking up more and more snow, and the faster it goes, the bigger it gets. It's a great image of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And so here we see Paul stacking one phrase on top of another phrase and one doctrine on top of another doctrine. And, and by the time he's finished, he's created this magnificent gateway into the letter to the Ephesians. And if verses 3 through 14 is the gateway into this book, then verse 3 is the key that opens the gate. Now, the NIV is helpful here because it makes verse 3 a sentence in and of itself, whereas originally we know it was all one long sentence, but if you've got a new international version, you'll see that. It just makes verse 3 kind of a standalone sentence um, where Paul basically just stated the theme of this entire passage. He gave a general overview of what he was about to talk about in in, in verses 4 through 14. And, uh, and, and he's about to elaborate on specific details here, but, but in verse 3, he just gives a glimpse, if you will, of what they're about to see unfolded, not just here in the first chapter, but in the entire rest of the letter. They're going to see the spiritual blessings that they have in the heavenly places in Christ. And so he really summarizes here in just, in just, just one verse, verse 3, six basic facts about the blessings that every believer enjoys. Six basic facts about the blessings that every believer enjoys. And uh, we only have time tonight just to, to, to tackle one verse, and so we're just going to look at verse 3. And, and I like just looking at verse 3 because Paul, like a, a good reporter uh, who, who would open up an important news article with, with a summary statement that answers the, the five W's, what are they? Who, what, where, why, and when. Did you learn that in school, right? When you're writing an article, who, what, where, why, and when. So he answers those five questions. And, and for good measure, he throws in the how as well. And so we're going to see that in this verse. So let's look first of all at the who. The who. Who is the who in this verse? Blessed be the who. God and Father. God is the subject of 
of verses 3, 4, 3 through 14. He's the one doing all the, the, the activity here, all the action. And notice how Paul uh, proceeds out of verse 3 to, to highlight everything that God has done and will do to save us. Well, he blessed us. We see that in verse 3. He chose us in verse 4. In verse 5, he predestined us. In verse 5, he also adopted us. In verse 6, he bestowed his grace upon us. In verse 7, he redeemed us and forgave us. Uh, In verse 8, he lavished us with his grace. In verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. In verse 11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. In verse 13, he sealed us. And in verse 14, he promised us he's eternal salvation and an eternal inheritance in Christ. And so Paul, really in this passage, is emphasizing the the specific work of each of the three persons of the Trinity. They all played a different role. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit played a different role in our salvation, in the work of salvation. And we see all three of them here in this first verse. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father. There's God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's Jesus. There's the Son who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There's a, a more of a, a, a behind-the-scenes look or a, a, a veiled reference to the Holy Spirit there, the spiritual blessing. And there's been over the years uh, countless attempts to, 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 to organize verses 3 through 14 and kind of outline these truths here. And I, I think the simplest and clearest way uh, to understand verses 3 through 14 is, is just breaking it into three main sections. There's just a three-point outline. In verses 3 through 6, we see how we were elected by the Father. In verses 7 through 12, we see how we were redeemed by the Son. And then in verses 13 and 14, we see how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so these are uh, the blessings that we see uh, coming from God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, Father God is the source of all the blessings that we have in life. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the who? The Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting saddles. So we have God to thank, particularly God the Father, to thank for the many blessings that we enjoy. Appreciate those of you that are sharing gratitude, thanks this evening for so many things, appropriate things, but ultimately, right, we should be thanking who? God the Father, because all the good gifts and the many blessings that you experience here at this church and in your family and wherever uh, is, is ultimately from God. And so that's the who. Now let's look at the what. What, what, what is God up to, this who? Well, what is the what? Well, it's, it's every spiritual blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Notice it's not material blessings, not temporal blessings, but spiritual blessings, eternal blessings. Now we could all say, uh, all the ways that God has blessed us materially um, and uh, physically. We're, we're all here tonight 
dressed and in our right minds, that's a good thing. That's a blessing from the Lord. Those are material blessings. Those are physical blessings. We all had a car to drive in tonight. We all have a home to go to tonight. We're going to have plenty of food tomorrow, right? These are all blessings that the Lord bestows on us. But here, Paul is thinking about spiritual blessings. In the Old Testament, God's blessings were primarily physical in nature, if you look at uh, Deuteronomy 28, for example, you see how uh, they, they talk about God giving blessing someone with a long life or a large family or a large flock um, or productive crops, right? These are the blessings, if you will, of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the focus of our blessings as believers is primarily spiritual. Now, God does promise to provide all of our physical needs, does he not? Matthew 6.33, seek first, what? His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us as well. What, what are all these things? They're the things that the disciples were worrying about, what they were going to eat, what they were going to wear, where were they going to live, those kinds of things. He said, don't worry about it. You put me first, you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll take care of all, those, all your physical needs. Paul said in Philippians 4.19 that, that God would, would provide all of their needs in Christ Jesus, told the Philippians there, they had given sacrificially to him um, and supported him in his ministry. And he said, now my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And he was talking about physical needs there because they had given up their money and they were wondering like, now how are we going to pay the rent? We just gave all of our last dollar to Paul, right? He says, hey, God's going to take care of you. So while we have these promises, we we know that that also doesn't mean that we will have every material blessing that we want. You may not have the new car or the new house or the new wardrobe or the new whatever. And you know as well as I do the, what's called the prosperity gospel, uh, where you have a preacher getting up and saying, hey, God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. Somewhere in there, there's a disconnect that God wants you to be godly. Prosperity gospel misses the point. It's not about our material needs. Those are secondary to our spiritual needs. God never promised that we would be materially rich. He wouldn't necessarily make us that way, but he does promise us to give us every spiritual blessing we could possibly want and need. 2 Peter 1.3, God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In other words, God has given Christians everything we need to live a happy, successful, obedient, fulfilled life. He's provided us every spiritual resource that we need, all the resources we need spiritually to handle any problem, to endure any trial, to overcome any sin, to satisfy any need, and deal with any difficulty that you may encounter in your life. And again, Paul goes on to list in verses 4 through 14 spiritual blessings, one after another after another that we as believers have received from God. And so you have who? You have what, and then you have where. Where are these blessings? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where? In the heavenly places. Literally, in the heavenlies. 
And Ephesians is the only place where you find this, this, this term used, uh, and Paul used it five times. Uh, he, he speaks of the heavenlies in verse 20, um, talking about how we are seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about uh, the heavenlies. Um, verse 10, he talks about the, the heavenly places. Uh, chapter 6, verse 12, when he's talking about spiritual warfare, he talks about the, the heavenlies, their heavenly places. So the heavenlies, you say, what is that? Is that heaven? No, not necessarily. It's not, it's not the future place we go when we die. It's not like, oh, by the way, you've got all these spiritual blessings, and it's like Christmas, they're all under the tree in heaven, and you've got to wait to get there before you can open them. No, not at all. The heavenlies is a description of the spirit realm. The immaterial part of the universe that, that is not seen, and, and, and you know this if you've been a Christian for a while, that we live in two realms. There's the physical realm, the material realm, and then there's a spiritual realm. Physically, where are we? Here on earth. 18940 Freeport Drive at present, this is where we're at. This is physically, we're here on this earth, but spiritually, where are we? According to the scriptures. We're in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, alongside Christ. And yet as human beings, we naturally focus on things where? In heaven or here? Well, here, because that's where we are, practically speaking, literally speaking. But as Christians, we need to learn to focus on heavenly things more than earthly things. Our body is here on earth, but our mind needs to be in heaven. And that's what Paul said in the sister letter to Ephesians. It's the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 says this in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, which we have been, spiritually speaking, we've been raised and we've been seated at the right hand, he says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things of, that are here on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is our mind on? What are we, what are we most thankful for? Is it the material things? I mean, are we focused on the stuff in our lives? So it's, it's right and good to be thankful for the stuff that God provides us with. But ultimately, we need to keep our minds focused more on the spiritual things. We need to learn to be what, what you've heard this expression before, heavenly-minded. We need to cultivate heavenly-mindedness where we're thinking beyond the things of this world, looking past the things of this world to where we're seated in Christ, in heaven. And so that's the where. These spiritual blessings are in the heavenlies, and again, not in heaven waiting for us. They are realities now, but they're just in the spirit realm. They're things you can't necessarily touch and, and, and see, but they're real nonetheless. How about when? How about when here? Well, notice what he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us. Again, th these are not blessings that we have to wait till we get to heaven to enjoy. They're, 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 they're not merely promised to us sometime in the future. They can be possessed right now. The moment we get saved, all these blessings become ours. 
In fact, we don't even have to ask God for these because we already have them. But we do need to ask him to help us realize them or to utilize them. Look at verse 18 of of Ephesians 1. I pray, Paul's praying here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. In other words, I'm praying that God would open up your eyes to to see the hope that you have and the the riches you have and the, the power that you have. In other words, the deposit's already in the bank. He's already deposited the stuff in the bank, the blessings in the bank. And all we need to do is write the check. Why? Because in Christ, we have been made complete. This is past tense, by the way. This has already been done. You say, well, how was it done? Well, Paul says it here a number of times. It was done in Christ. Notice he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And if you know anything about the book of Ephesians, that is the operative term. This whole book is about what it means to be in Christ. Paul uses this term 11 times in these first 14 verses. 35 times uh, in the letter, uh, all six chapters here, and 164 times in all of his writing. Paul was obsessed with this concept of being in Christ. And you really, and if you don't understand what it means to be in Christ, you can't understand Paul's letters. And it really is a, a pregnant term, if you will. There's just tons of meaning here. But it basically expresses the believer's relationship or union with Christ. We are united with him, we're connected, we're related to him in such a way that what is true of him is true of us. That's what it means to be in Christ. You can look over in Romans chapter 6 where where Paul talks about this idea that what happened to Christ happened to us. This is Romans 6, 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him... In the likeness of a death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then he goes on in chapter 8, verse 16, he says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. In other words, his death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. His righteousness is our righteousness. His resources are our resources. His power is our power. That's essentially what it means that we're in Christ. Listen to what a few men of old said about this concept of being in Christ. This is A.W. Pink. He said, The subject of spiritual union is the most important, the most profound, and yet the most blessed of any that is set forth in the sacred scriptures. 
In other words, whatever in Christ means, it's like premier. It's, it's important. There's no greater blessing than to understand that we are in Christ. Andrew Murray said this, union with Christ is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Sinclair Ferguson, he's still alive today, said this, union with Christ is a doctrine which lies at the heart of the Christian life and is intimately related to all the other doctrines. Union with Christ is the foundation of all our spiritual experience and all our spiritual blessings. So Paul made it clear here that that, that these spiritual blessings that he's talking about here are based on our union with Christ. In other words, the only way that you can experience these blessings in your life is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't get these kind of spiritual riches any other way. You can't go to Vegas and get them. You can't win the lottery. You can't invest These are offered exclusively to those who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, those who are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, then you're without Christ. And if you're without Christ, you're without God and you're without hope. That's what he goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commandment or the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So if you're without Christ, you're without God, and if you are without God, you are without all these blessings. None of what we're talking about tonight that should be encouraging your heart is true for you. You say, well, I I don't know, I feel pretty blessed. I'm not a Christian. I'm not in Christ, as you're describing, but I'm, I'm pretty blessed. Well, you know what that's called? That's called grace. More specifically, it's called common grace. The fact that, that, that God says that he causes, the rain, it causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. It's not like God just blesses the, 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 the house, the yard of the Christian, and the pagan next door you know, the rain cloud comes and it doesn't rain on him, but it rains on the rain. No, it rains everywhere. Well, that's, that's common grace. You, you enjoy, all of us enjoy just some basic blessings of God. Life and breath and all things. These are all gifts from the Lord. But you can experience these special blessings of God which are reserved for believers in his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's how we get these is when we repent and believe, these blessings become ours. And then the last question, and maybe the most important question, is why? Why, why is all this true? Well, there's a word that we haven't looked at yet in the verse. You, you know which one it is? We've looked at everything but what word? How about the very first word? Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen, that is the leading idea of this verse. Is that God would be what? Blessed. That word blessed in the Greek is eulogia where we get the term eulogy. If you've been into a funeral, you, you hear this term eulogy. Well, what's a eulogy? Somebody gets up and 
says a whole lot of nice things about the person who died, right? That's a eulogy. It's basically commending someone. It's praising someone uh, who's being memorialized. It's, again, saying something good about them. So, so what are we saying here? We're saying that God is good, that he gives us good things, and he works all things for good, and therefore it is good to praise him for his goodness. That's what it means to bless God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we, that we say good things. I mean, listen, no matter what happens to us in life, we have, we have plenty of good reasons to praise God. Even if you're laid up in the hospital, or you're out of a job, or you're dealing with a wayward child, or struggling in your marriage, or battling some deadly disease, or feeling depressed spiritually, or being ridiculed or persecuted by other people, listen, no matter what is going on in your life, or whatever is going on in this world, it doesn't change the fact that God is worthy to be blessed, and to be praised, and to be worshipped. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's he's telling us why God is worthy to be praised. He's saying that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing so that he would be blessed, so that he would be praised, that he would be honored, that he would be glorified, that he would be worshipped. Listen, we are blessed by God when we receive his gift of salvation, and God is blessed by us when he receives our praise. God blesses us so that we can bless him, we can praise him, we can honor him. And, and again, that's what Paul's doing here. Three times in the midst of this, this song of praise and worship to God, he concludes with the same chorus, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And so the ultimate goal of the whole process of salvation is that God will be glorified. It's not so you could not have to go to hell. It's not even so you get to go to heaven. That's not the goal of salvation. The goal of salvation, ultimately, is that God would be glorified. And again, Paul's heart was just aflame in praise to God here for what he had done to save him and to save us. And he wanted to inflame our hearts to bless the Lord by reminding us of the blessings that we have because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that you have put on display in our lives through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we have already expressed to you praise and thanksgiving. And Lord, we have so much to praise you for, not just at Thanksgiving, but all the time. Not just Thanksgiving time, but all the time, God. And thank you for this annual reminder of of that indescribable, inexpressible gift that we have in Christ. And so we are here tonight to, to, to worship Christ, to thank you and to praise you and to worship you for your gift of salvation in him. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts now as we get ready to remember 
the amazing act of love that Christ displayed for us in that while we are yet sinners, he died for us on the cross. Pray this in his name. Amen.